This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Well, between us, would you ever use Stalkerware to track Guinevere? Uh, never, ever in a million years, because if she found out, I would be dead. I would, like... And I would be dead and all the atoms that had anything to do with me also would be gone and destroyed. It would be bad. That would be a pretty epic whooping. Mm-hmm. So no, I think that stalkerware is, there's no good use for stalkerware, but there's plenty of bad ones. And we're going to hear about that this week. And with that, welcome to What the Hack, a true cybercrime podcast. I'm Adam Levin. I'm Bo Friedlander. And I'm Travis Taylor. Eva Galperin, welcome to What the Hack. Thank you so much for having me. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm the Director of Cybersecurity at the Electronic Frontier Foundation, uh, where I have worked since uh, 2007 when dinosaurs roamed the earth. Uh, We're a digital civil liberties organization. And for the last uh, 10 years or so, I have focused on uh, privacy and security protections for vulnerable populations. And that can mean anybody from journalists to activists to uh, people in LGBTQ populations, uh, people of color, uh, religious minorities. And uh, probably for the last like five or six years, I have been working on sort of the the specific problems of uh, people in abusive relationships. What does EFF do? Uh, EFF is a digital civil liberties organization. Our job is to make sure that when you go online, your rights come with you. Uh, We are global. We have uh, probably about mm, 100 people uh, working for EFF. And we have sort of like three three main classes of of people working there. Uh, We have uh, lawyers who file uh, what we call impact litigation, so lawsuits that we think are going to really make a difference uh, in digital civil liberties beyond just helping the people who are involved in the lawsuit. We have uh, people who do who do activism and policy, so we will go and uh, and lobby at the at the UN or at the Hague or in Washington DC even if we have to. And, uh, and that sort of thing, we work on legislation. I've actually worked on a, on a couple of laws myself. And so what is your role specifically as the cybersecurity lead? Uh, well, uh, what I do as director of cybersecurity is I, uh, I wake up, I roll out of bed, I look at the world. I see what um, I, I try to look where other people are not looking uh, to really look ahead to what I think are going to be the the kind of next set of issues that affect people on the margins. And the reason why uh, I put so much emphasis on helping marginalized communities is because the technology that impacts marginalized communities will eventually uh, come to impact uh, comfortable people at the center of power. I, and I want to uh, I want to get to it first. So these these are the best canaries in the coal mine. So I know you have a uh, background in uh, political science as well. 
Mm -hmm. um, how does that factor into your uh, cybersecurity work? Uh, well, uh, when you when you do sort of global cybersecurity research, uh, and you spend your time talking to people in vulnerable populations, often people who are doing uh, you know activism or uh, independent journalism in authoritarian countries or war zones, uh, it is really good to understand how uh, you know how politics works, uh, how you know nations uh, relate to one another. Uh, and uh, where countries are, which incidentally is not a strength of uh, American cybersecurity, uh, this is this is really a, a deep, deep weakness that we have. So uh, just like understanding the rest of the world turned out to be uh, extra super useful, and uh, a lot of people in my field don't really have that. So Eva, let's talk a little bit about tech-enabled abuse. How mm -hmm. would you broadly define that? I have spent a bunch of time working on uh, what we call stalkerware, which is the class of commercially available software that is meant to be covertly installed on a device for the purpose of spying on someone else, which incidentally is de facto abuse. And de facto illegal, too, I'd imagine, if you're... It if you're... depends. Not de facto okay. illegal. Uh, it depends on exactly uh, how you're spying, whether or not it's your uh, it's your device... Uh, whether or not you have, um, you know, uh, legitimate access to that device, and also what jurisdiction you're in, um, because in the United States, the laws around wiretapping actually change from state to state. Okay, so walk us through the the advent of stalkerware. How did it? How did so? This is these are legitimate businesses. I mean, and I don't mean like a mobster saying they're a legitimate businessman, but a legitimate uh, uh, enterprise that is creating. This software that is designed to track people, was it made for parents to keep tabs on their kids? Or what was the advent of it? Oh, was. Uh, is. Um, is. So this this stuff is as old as computers and spying on uh, you know, what other people are doing on their computers. But it really uh, took off in the era of the smartphone. Uh, when we started walking around with tracking devices in our pockets at all times that also contain all of our passwords and conversations and uh, you know, contacts and photographs and our calendar. This is a, um, an amazing honeypot for people who want to know uh, what we're doing, what we're thinking, where we're going, uh, and sometimes in order to control us. And that made it like a, a tremendously tempting vector for uh, for tech enabled abuse, so we really saw the uh, the industry take off with the advent of the smartphone when you could start uh, installing this stuff covertly on a phone, and uh, it has been going on ever since. So there's really like more than a solid decade of uh, of this kind of software uh, being used for abuse, but it is not the only way that people engage in tech-enabled abuse. Uh, for example, abusers may track their victims through a Bluetooth-enabled uh, physical tracker, like an AirTag or a Tile or a Samsung Smart Tag or a Chipolo. They might spy on their, you know, they, they might break into your email account and read your emails, or they might spy on your uh, your social media. 
using a you know or your your friends only posts by making like a fake account and then getting uh, getting friended by you that's still all tech enabled abuse uh, the stuff that i'm looking into right now that's really interesting is actually the use of uh of tracking related to cars so as uh, i don't know if you've tried to buy a car recently but uh cars now come with like they they are now basically just cell phones on wheels uh they are a data privacy nightmare and that makes them a uh, a very powerful vector uh for abuse in these abusive relationships we we had uh, Jen Caltrider on from Mozilla talking about privacy not included Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was our 121st episode. Uh, Jen Keltrider makes us want to walk to the bookstore. It's terrifying how much data cars are collecting on each and every one of us. Oh, yeah. And and people are not always very clear on uh, what data is being collected, where it's going, uh, or uh, who it's going to. And car companies are not very good at uh, at locking uh, an abuser out of access to that data, especially because uh, frequently in an abusive relationship, uh, it's the abuser whose name is on the title of the car uh, or who may own the car. Uh, even if there has been a you know divorce decree granting the survivor sole usage of the car, uh, or there has been a uh, you know a protective order. Uh, which protects the uh, the survivor against uh, against stalking and tracking. Uh, sometimes we we cannot even get the car companies to take the survivors' uh, access to that information away. Eva, what got you interested in this area? Ah, uh, this is this is kind of an infamous story. <laughs> there I was working on APTs. For our listeners, I want to clarify that by APT, we mean Advanced Persistent Threat, Mm -hmm. uh, which are cyber criminal groups that are usually well-funded and have extensive experience in targeting high-value organizations. Yeah, so I was tracking state-aligned actors who were targeting journalists and activists and lawyers on behalf of a government with malware not particularly sophisticated malware, which is the reason why the larger sort of security researchers were not writing reports about this stuff. But I was tracking them and I was tracking them along with a guy who was working at Google and later went to go work as the director of security at The Intercept. And we published a whole bunch of of reports together. At the end of 2017 and also the beginning of 2018, there were a bunch of stories about how it turned out that this guy was a serial rapist. He raped a lot of women. And uh, at the beginning of 2018, I read a, uh, an interview with uh, one of his survivors. It was located in uh, New Zealand. And uh, one of the things that she said and that a lot of the other people who were being interviewed in New Zealand said was that they were they were absolutely terrified because they were worried that this guy who was, you know, a, a, a very sophisticated computer security professional uh, was going to, you know, install stalkerware on their phones and uh, and spy on them in order to uh, sort of frighten them into into silence uh, and allegedly this was something that he had threatened to do and I got really really angry about this I was so mad 
so I tweeted that uh, if you are a woman who has been sexually assaulted by a hacker and uh, you are worried about your uh, about your device being spied on, uh, that you could get in touch with me and I would make sure that you would get you know some sort of forensic analysis. Uh, and this was promptly retweeted uh, something like 10,000 times. And I got like 30 messages a day. Uh, and in fact, I still get people coming to me with abuse cases. Uh, I, uh, I helped start an organization called the Coalition Against Stalkerware, where we uh, get activists, but also people who are working uh, sort of on the, on the ground directly with, uh, with survivors and uh, security professionals who are doing you know, analysis of malware and people at like Google and, and at Apple. Uh, to all sort of work together in order to kind of like limit the the threat posed by stalkerware by better understanding it and counteracting it. So so that's how that happened. So, Bo and Adam, you guys know I'm a bit of a uh, privacy geek, if you will. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you are. Yeah, totally. I, I really just don't like the idea that just about anyone can find you online, can find out where you live or your email address, or your phone number or anything. I just think that entire idea is super creepy. There's so much of my data already out there, but is there something that you can do? Yeah, actually, you can use Delete Me. Delete Me is a service that pretty much does the heavy lifting for you, where they go to all the data brokers that they have on file. And uh, just pull your data and delete it on a regular basis. I use it. I like it. And they make it quick, easy, and safe to remove your personal data online. Well, yeah, with these data brokers, they can accumulate huge amounts of your personally identifiable information. And if all that information gets into the hands of a bad actor, that opens you up to a lot of risk. And if you act now, you can get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash WTH and use promo code WTH. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash WTH and enter promo code WTH at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash WTH, promo code WTH, which stands for What the Hack. And we thank you for supporting Delete Me and What the Hack. Let's talk about weight loss. Most of us have been there, struggling with the ups and downs. You lose some weight, then it creeps back. But forget those endless cycles of juice cleanses, soup diets, and the latest fad workouts. There's a better way. The Rogue Body Program pairs a weekly weight loss shot with a real lifestyle change so you can lose weight and actually keep it off. Need support? Rogue's got you covered every step of the way. And guess what? You can do it all from the comfort of your own home. No more doctor's appointments, no more waiting rooms. It's that simple. Ready to take charge of your weight? Head over to row.co slash Adam to sign up today. Average weight loss is 15 to 20% in a year. That's with healthy lifestyle changes. BMI and other eligibility criteria apply. Go to row.co slash Adam. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 after that. Medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash A-D-A-M. So how does Stalkerware actually impact its victims? Uh, well, uh, they're, they're actually sort of 
two levels of impact. One of them is that your phone gives away an enormous amount of information about uh, what you're doing uh, at any given time. Uh, like I said, you get your, your passwords and your conversations and your social media posts and your emails, uh, not to mention, you know, uh, real-time reports about your location. Uh, and all of these are basically just a gold mine for an abuser. Um, but the other thing that stalkerware does is uh, it uh, gives the abuser just enough knowledge to make uh, the the victim feel like the abuser is omniscient and omnipotent. Yeah. That there there is no limit to the knowledge about what they're doing and uh, who they're seeing and what they're saying and what they're thinking. Uh, and that in and of itself becomes this sort of tool of coercive control. Um, because one of the things that I, I work really hard to do is not only to make sure that, that stalkerware um, is harder to install, easier to detect, easier to remove, uh, more limited in, uh, in its abilities when it does get installed on devices. Uh, the other thing that I really try very hard to do is to demystify uh, stalkerware for uh, survivors of abuse so that they understand exactly what it is that, uh, that their abuser is and is not able to do. So that even if they don't remove the stalkerware, they can create this sort of uh, area of privacy and security for themselves. And sometimes that is what a survivor really needs. Are there telltale signs of stalkerware? This is this is the answer that uh, you will see from, from all security professionals when you ask them a question like this. They will look off into the distance and they will sigh heavily and say, it depends. Uh, there, there is some stalkerware that will uh, you know, drain your phone battery or your phone uh, data very quickly. And so your phone will start to, to overheat and you will end up using a lot of your, your data plan very quickly. Uh, but there is also stalkerware that does not do this. Specifically, uh, a lot of the stalkerware that targets iPhones is not software that is covertly installed on your device. It's usually a way of, uh, of scraping your uh, iCloud backups or a way of breaking into your uh, Apple ID. And uh, those will not, there, there will not be any evidence on, on your phone. It will not start behaving strangely. But Apple does have this great thing. It's called Safety Check. Uh, you go to Settings, then Privacy and Security, and you go to Safety Check, and Apple will walk you through all of the, the data that is, uh, that is on your device and that is on your account, how it's being shared and who it's being shared with. And that's actually a, a really, really great way of, uh, of catching uh, most of the stalkerware products that target iOS devices um, or uh, Apple accounts. When it comes to Android, the Android ecosystem is uh, is much more open. Uh, which, in some ways, as a as an advocate of the open net, uh, who also enjoys doing security research, I think is good. Uh, but also means that it is possible to install uh, all kinds of very bad things on, on people's Android devi devices without them knowing. So there's like a, a robust sort of ecosystem of Android malware out there. 
Uh, and because this robust ecosystem exists, the uh, AV companies that make mobile uh, AV products um, are increasingly good at recognizing stalkerware, uh, you know, flagging it and giving you the option of removing it. Um, I think the the AV company that had the the kind of best statistics for recognizing stalkerware uh, as of a couple of years ago, which was the last time that I ran a thorough test, uh, was GData. So following up on Adam's question, is there are there ways to know if you have a tracker, like an air tag uh, in your car that you didn't place there? Uh, is there a sweeping device that people can buy or is there some other way that people can be made aware of the fact that they may be carrying around uh, a, a device like that? iPhones should automatically uh, tell you after a certain amount of time uh, whether or not uh, you are being tracked by a uh, by an unwanted tracker. I mean, specifically by an AirTag. Uh, and the latest versions of uh, of Android should also have this capability. So that's the good news. Uh, the bad news is that if you are being tracked with something other than an AirTag, like a Chipolo or a Tile or a Samsung SmartTag, uh, you will not get these sort of like always on passive uh, warnings that you are being tracked. And so you have to uh, download a, uh, a scanner app. I did a test of all the different detection apps uh, fairly recently, and I can tell you they all suck. Uh, and so all I can really tell you... Don't sugarcoat it. Don't sugarcoat it. Oh, no. It. They, they all suck. Uh, and all I can tell you is that uh, the one that sucks least is called AirGuard. Just so we understand the, uh, the, the sucks least scale, what makes it suck the least? Uh, it is the one that had the, uh, the least bad sort of uh, ability to detect a, uh, a tracker which is following you, uh, regardless of what kind of tracker it is. I imagine if you are uh, targeted by one of these devices, let's say you're a journalist and you're just trying to do your job and somebody really doesn't want you to do your job. I'm thinking, you know, you spoke of vulnerable uh, targets and that seems to me like a big one, uh, a journalist. What recourse do they have in today's environment of Pegasus, everything from Pegasus to, I guess, more uh, down market things? Like, how do they stay safe? Uh, well, uh, if you are worried about Pegasus or Predator, if you uh, if, if being targeted by uh, directly by a nation state that is willing to to burn O'Day on you uh, is uh, is within your threat model, uh, and you use an iOS device, uh, I recommend turning on iOS lockdown mode. So, so there are there is recourse for. I mean, this is not just like you know Laura Poitras's film famously showing Greenwald and, and and Edward Snowden and Laura in that hotel room with Faraday bags and shutting off devices. And there there are, are other ways to. Uh, yes, if lockdown mode had been available back in like 2012, when they, it would have worked just fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got you. So, so that that level of paranoia now is not necessary for somebody who's concerned about security. I can't tell you that, again, if if this is the particular type of threat that you are worried about and you have an iOS device yeah. uh, and you 
want to make sure that uh, that you are secure against this yep. kind of threat, then I recommend turning on lockdown mode. What lockdown mode does is it does limit some of the um, some of the capabilities of your phone, uh, but it, as far as I know, none of the um, none of the reports on uh, Predator or uh, or Pegasus uh, or you know, anything related to them have been reports of, of things that would have worked on a phone with lockdown mode enabled. And now, okay, let's go down the food chain a little bit to non-governmental forms of stalkerware. I assume they're also uh, something you can protect yourself from with lockdown mode. And again, only if you have an Apple device. I mean, certainly uh, lockdown mode will also uh, uh, will also keep those things up. And is there a similar uh, solution for Android, or is it really just iOS? Just iOS. There's there's no sort of equivalent uh, in in Android for uh, for Android. I I recommend you know uh, the latest Pixel running the uh, latest version of Graphene OS. What do you see as a way to combat stalkerware? How do we how do we fight it? Well, there are a bunch of different ways. Uh, one of the nice things about working for EFF is because the, there are so many tools in the EFF toolbox, uh, we can really approach a problem from like all kinds of different angles at once. So one of the angles was making it easier for people with, uh, you know, with mobile devices to detect stalkerware when it is on, on their devices. Uh, the other is uh, convincing the uh you know, convincing Apple and Google to uh, remove this stuff from their app stores. Stalkerware is in violation of both Google and Apple stores' uh, terms of service, but it sneaks onto there all the goddamn time, and it requires sort of eternal vigilance to keep it out. Additionally, uh, a lot of the companies that make this stalkerware uh, essentially, like make it, reskin it, and kind of franchise it out to uh, to a bunch of other people. They change its name all the time, which is why when people ask me like, "What stalkerware should I be watching out for?" Uh, I very rarely name it, both for the reason that I don't want to give them free advertising, but also because they change their names all the goddamn time, even when it is essentially the same product. Uh, and the uh, the actual people behind. Uh, this software are often very deeply sketchy. Uh, Zach Whitaker uh, last year had a really, really great article about how people behind an, an entire like fleet of stalkerware products, like seven or eight different uh, stalkerware products uh, that looked like they were based in Vietnam and therefore probably beyond uh, you know, U.S. law enforcement's ability to, uh, to do anything, may actually be located in Texas, the United States, where U.S. law enforcement very much could do something about it. Uh, so we're, we're waiting to see if that goes anywhere. And it's going to become a much hotter mess now that Apple has opened up its app store to anybody. I'm afraid so. And again, I am a, a big proponent of uh, of the open web and uh but the the downside of that is yes we are going to see uh a, a great explosion of uh of apple uh stalkerware products and i'm gonna have to keep an eye out and it's not like apple didn't see this coming so there there are people inside of apple who have sort of braced themselves 
And how effective, if at all, are uh, antivirus programs at detecting and removing stalkerware? It depends on the on the antivirus program, uh, but uh, GData actually had a, a pretty good stats. Uh, but it is an eternally moving target, so there is no antivirus program that is going to find every uh, you know every version of every stalkerware every single time. You you have been collaborating with Kaspersky and Sentinel One, correct? Uh, those are, are both companies I have worked with on this, yes. Right. And uh, and how has it influenced the industry's perception of stalker work? Well, I would say probably as recently as uh, five or six years ago, um, most security companies, especially the AV companies, uh, were afraid to call stalkerware malicious. And they thought that because there might be some legitimate uses for this software, uh, that uh, flagging it as potentially malicious and making it uh, possible for people to remove it might open them up to uh, some sort of potential litigation. And uh, I, I would like to think that I have sort of moved the Overton window on that one. And everybody understands that if you make software that is dis- that is. Uh, designed for non-consensually spying on people, that it is malicious by definition. So it's fair to say that you can't see any positive use for any type of stalkerware, correct? I cannot see any positive use of uh, of stalkerware, no. Uh, a lot of people will turn around and say, but like, I need to keep track of what my kids are doing. And if you need to keep track of what your kids are doing on their phones, uh, there is a lot of software out there uh, that will, in fact, track them and that will exfiltrate all kinds of data about uh, what your kids are doing on their phones and send it to you uh, without hiding its presence on the phone in order to leave your kid with the impression that they are not being watched. And if you think that the problem is that your you need to spy on your kid, that your kid uh, will, uh, that that you need to lie to them about whether or not you are getting this data, then you need to be having a conversation with your kid. You need to do some parenting. So I do these talks a lot at, uh, at college campuses. And usually after my talk, I will get at least one college student walking up to me saying, listen, I share my physical location, you know, the location of my phone with my parents all the time. I'm sharing it right now. Uh, my friends and I share our locations with one another constantly. Like, is this stalkerware? Uh, and uh, I, I ask them, like, uh, well, you know you're sharing the data. Uh, you are doing it consensually. Everybody else is also sharing their data consensually. And the difference between, you know, stalkerware and not stalkerware is consent. My daughter will often, from Michigan, ask me, Dad, what are you doing in whatever town I'm in? (laughs) Because she's (laughs) looking at my location. And I share it with her because she's interested in where I am and she shares her location with me. And she does it for that reason, for safety reasons. And I don't abuse it. I rarely look at it, as a matter of fact. But yeah, as long as you're not, you know, you're not spying, you're not lying, you're not, you know, uh, deliberately circumventing their ability to consent. Uh, then, then that's fine. No, because that... your parent, you know, because you're parenting or you're friending or you're mm-hmm. whatever. And and the the fact of the matter is, I, I I think that that's what gets lost on us is we live in a set it and forget it kind of society where the easier it is 
people think, the better it is. But you lose the I and thou uh, in that exchange. And, and, and what I mean by the I and thou is the, the relationship between two people where they're having a communication. And when that ceases to be the case, and someone's using, whether it's a relationship or you know something higher up the food chain, like, like a journalist being spied on by a nation state, um, we can't do anything about, about people using, using spyware at the Pegasus level of things, but we can do a lot about parents and, and, and loved ones and partners using it uh, to spy on the people who are supposedly the most important people in their lives, right? If it's the most important person in your life, surely you can say, what were you doing last night? Yeah, it's just <laughs> like you can talk to them instead of lying to them. Exactly. But if, if if part of the conversation, you also say, listen, I would like to put something on your device to protect you and to help us be in a better position to understand what you're doing so that if we see that you might be making a mistake, we can jump in and help you. The most important aspects of, of such software that you should be looking for is that it should not hide from your kids. Your kids should know that it is there. Uh, and if you are uh, dealing with someone who is over 18, uh, that, that they should be able to turn it off. 100%. They should be able to turn it off and they should have the power to remove it. So the, those are really the most important things uh, to look out for. And honestly, one of the other things that happens to me when I go to college campuses and I get these talks is somebody will inevitably come up to me and they will say, but I need to install the software on uh, on somebody else's device like uh, because otherwise how am I going to catch my partner cheating oh. <laughs> oops I need to get proof that my partner is cheating and I say you already don't trust your partner if trust it's... has already has broken down to the point where you feel the need to uh, to become an abuser and spy on your partner this way you know what you need to do and it is break up a hundred percent. As as, a, as opposed to using it as a retrusting mechanism. Yeah, that's that's not going to increase trust. Like, how do you think that conversation is going to go? Like, you go and you talk to your partner, you're like, so I covertly installed some stalker on your device and I watched where you were going for a week and I see now that you are faithful to me. So, like, I'm not going to dump you. What do you think they're going to say? Thanks? Yeah, I mean, in, in a, or or it's an incredibly abusive response. If somebody's used to being in an abusive relationship, maybe. But I mean, it's an abusive relationship at yeah, that that's, point. That's not great. Uh, and, and you've got to get out of there. Yeah, that's for sure. And I, I think it's just really important to to change the way that we talk about these things. That we need to stop talking about, you know, how uh, spying on your partner in order to catch them cheating is okay. Because that is by far uh, the single most common excuse that I hear. And that kind of spying is still stalking and it is still abuse. And then the second most common thing that I hear is I need to spy on my children. And the answer is you don't need to spy on your children. Your children should know that you, know, that you are watching their phone and how they are watching and when they are watching. And it should be with their uh, full understanding and consent so that they understand that you are helping them and not spying on them. <laughs> Yeah, I think it comes down to it's it's so so interesting that whenever we're talking about something as as uh, high tech as stalkerware, it comes down to personal relationships. Like that is what will change things. Is if we open up ourselves to being more intimate and having conversations that matter, even if they lead to a breakup, 
better than having to, you know, enter into that realm because it's really it, you're you're betraying your own moral status in the world by spying on somebody. So just if you're thinking about doing it, maybe have a conversation about how your relationship sucks. And don't <laughs> don't don't go down that road because it's not a primrose path. No, it's that that's abuse and yeah. there's there's no reason for us to become abusers ourselves. And uh, one of the things that we're really obliged to do as, you know, because we live in a society, uh, is uh, uh, to keep other people from doing this. When when people come to you and, and they come to me all the time as if I am somehow the privacy pope and I can deliver my <laughs> blessing and say, this spying is fine. Yes. No, the spying is not fine. So we should refer to you henceforth as the privacy pope. I'm going to need a hat. We'll get you one. So Eva, before you go, what is the one thing you wish more people were aware of about stalkerware? Well, uh, when it comes to stalkerware, I would really like for people to be aware of, uh, in iOS, of lockdown mode and safety check. Uh, and if they are using uh, Android devices, uh, that they should be aware that they can uh, download uh, an AV product and run a scan and look for uh, look for stalkerware that way. Um, but I think even more importantly, people should understand that stalkerware is part of an entire uh, kind of uh, panoply of uh, of tech enabled abuse. Uh, the the great world of tech enabled abuse. It's so many different things, uh, and so people should also take care. Um, to protect themselves against things like physical trackers and also to lock down their accounts because by far the single most common uh, source of tech-enabled abuse that I see, the most common form of compromise that I see is account compromise. Uh, and you can effectively mitigate that through uh, using a password manager, making sure that your passwords are uh, strong and unique and uh, using two-factor authentication, the strongest level of two-factor authentication that you are comfortable with, though I would caution against using a, uh, a physical key, like a, like a Duo or a YubiKey, uh, in a situation in which your abuser has physical access uh, to wherever it is that you are hiding the keys or to your person. Uh, that, is, uh, that is not the threat model that these keys are, are made for. Eva, this was awesome. Uh, we can't thank you enough for this. We really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. And if people want to find out more about you and the work you do, how do they do that? You can find out more by going to www.eff.org. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. So here's the deal. I use Yahoo Finance. I use it to make money because it works, not just because they're a sponsor of the show. Heck, I've been using them for years before they ever called to become a sponsor. I do a lot of investing and I need to make split second financial decisions. And that's where Yahoo Finance comes in. I trade stocks and I trade options and you can't trade them in a vacuum. You've got to know what's going on. 
Yahoo Finance gives you the opportunity to look at the whole picture. I mean, breaking news, editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts. I love the customizable charts. They have it all. At Yahoo Finance, I'm part of a community of over 90 million users. You heard me. 90 million folks use Yahoo Finance because they're helping you on your way to financial success. Visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com, yahoofinance.com. And now it's time for our tinfoil swan. Our paranoid takeaway to keep you safe on and offline. Okay, so what do we have this week, Travis? Well, like any podcast, we try to make sure we're reaching out to people on social media. Which is good. Unfortunately, there's a scam going around that keeps on popping up in our feeds. Which is bad. What's the scam? I mean, there are a few, but one of the newest ones is where someone comments saying that they had their account hijacked and someone online, for the right price, was able to unlock it for them. Well, that's possible, right? I mean, yeah, we actually know someone who does that for a living, but um, so what's the deal? Well, I mean, for every one person who knows someone who can actually help them move the process of recovering your Facebook or Instagram or TikTok account along. Well, there are bound to be a few dozen looking to make a quick buck off a panicked business owner, right? Yeah, sure. And the other thing here is that, you know, a lot of people make their living off of their social media accounts. So getting locked out is a pretty big deal. Well, as our listeners know at this point, a pretty big deal is one of the most important tools in a scammer's toolbox. So <laughs> what should people do? <laughs> I mean, first and foremost, if you see a comment on someone else's social media account where someone is promising some kind of wizardry or secret access to the higher-ups at Meta or anywhere else, just be skeptical. Well, unless it's Elon Musk. I mean, I, I think he's happy for any traffic to Twitter these days. You mean uh, the glyph formerly known as Twitter? Indeed. So if someone asks you for money up front or worse, your account credentials after your account has been taken over, be suspicious. You could be running the risk of a double dip uh, account hack. Listen, there are people out there with direct ties to law enforcement or the platforms that uh, get hacked. They might be able to help you. In fact, some of them really can help you. You know what else? They don't advertise. They don't need to. That's right. And as Mr. Miyagi said, the best way to not get hit is not be there. Meaning if your social media account is important to your business, make yourself a harder target before you get hacked. So, and what does that mean? It means not having a weak or reused password, setting up two-factor authentication, and all the other things that we talk about on the show. Yeah, and a lot of people and businesses depend on social media, but that often means that they'll have multiple people posting to an account. And that also means that they tend to use easy-to-guess passwords. They are easy targets, especially when you consider that suspicious activity on an account with multiple people logged into it is less likely to uh, be noticed. Memo to self. If your business or personal life depends on the ability to maintain a social media presence, protect it accordingly. Yeah, and it's not just easy to guess passwords. I mean, you can just have passwords that everybody has access to, and they can have a way to manage that that is a lot safer. If your accounts do get hacked, if you think something's going on, uh, you're, you're going to have to do one thing, which is going to be super hard. Don't panic. And that's our tinfoil swan. What the Hack with Adam Levin is a production of Loud Tree Media, produced by Andrew Stephen and Travis Taylor. Our executive producers are Bo Friedlander and Adam Levin. That's me. You can find us online at adamlevin.com and 
Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Adam K. Levin. Come back next week and rate and review. It really helps people find the show. 